What makes a great leader great? How do we create a high-performing team? And when we say leader, we mean everyone, because everyone is leading their own life. Will yours be a life by design or a life by default? Those are the big questions, and this podcast will answer them. Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast, where we help you apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders, because great leaders will produce great results. Welcome to our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you might be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership, and we have a fascinating guest today. Uh, He is an unconventional turnaround specialist, a servant leader, a go-to chief, and we're going to talk more about that in this podcast of what that means. Uh, He is also an experienced and trusted confidant an author, a sought-after speaker, and an expert at driving sustainable growth. So welcome, Rick Miller. Great to be with you, Steve. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm, I'm excited to get right into this. This is going to be a treat for our listeners today. Uh, he has such a, a tremendous background, and so I hope he'll talk about some of these things he's talked about in his uh, new book, uh, Be Chief. Uh, especially how he starts it off in Fallujah. Uh, <laughs> if we have time, we'll talk about that. But uh, so let's, before we get started, Rick, maybe you could just tell us a little about your background uh, and especially including any turning points in your life that have really had a significant impact on you and where you're at today. Sure. Well, as a means of background, it's always best to start at the beginning. I was uh, blessed. Uh, to grow up in uh, Massachusetts, in the central part of the state, uh, the oldest of three. Uh, my mom, unfortunately, was uh, was hospitalized uh, for a good part of my uh, uh, young life, but my dad uh, held it together as a as a, really a single parent. But I start there because really everything, Steve, I've done ever since uh, uh, growing up in Massachusetts really is a testimony to my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, dad was a personnel guy. Uh, They had personnel, as you know, before they talked about human resource people. But dad was a personnel manager in the only non-union manufacturer in central Massachusetts. So I grew up around the kitchen table listening to stories about compensation and communication and benefits and grievances and, you know, connecting management and labor. But the thing that's kind of – I'm so proud. I I could bust every time I tell the story. I tell it a lot is that in 27 years at that particular firm, there was never even a union vote when everyone else around the area were union manufacturers. So, you know, unions are are, are great things, no question when you need them. But my dad taught me that you really don't even need someone in between management and labor if you're doing a good job communicating and caring for each other and and, and doing what you need to, to build a great and powerful organization. So dad taught me Dad taught me a couple of things which I practice to this day. Number one, if you have a title, you have power. But number two, if you don't have a title, you have power. Number three, everybody is at their best when they feel powerful. And number four, everybody's different and makes their own choices. So I learned all about culture growing up, and I went on to business school and started my business career. And and very interesting, I found along the way, I learned at business school about costs and capital and when I started my sales job, I learned about customers and competition. So a lot of things you learn early on. And, 
And I, I was also given the opportunity early on in my career, Steve, to be given some 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 real tough assignments. Uh, managers give me, you know, kind of a, a territory that needed to be turned around or something wasn't going well. And so early in my career, I, I was kind of thrown into these turnaround situations. Later on, I kind of figured out that I was built for that. So I, I walked into a situation and, and have worked along my professional career in uh, anything from a start. You know, I did a startup uh, during the internet bubble. And I, on the other end of the spectrum, I was president of AT&T Global Services. So I as I say often, if uh, you've got a challenge building a business from zero all the way to 21 billion, uh, I've probably worked in that environment and probably led it with a great group of people. And so whenever you walk into these these business situations, uh, you worry about competition and costs and capital and, and customers. But I keep going. I always went back to the, the lessons my dad taught me because it's all about culture and, and really understanding that how you treat your people, um, every single one of them makes a difference. So Professionally, I've been blessed to have lots of different crazy assignments, uh, as I say, from, from startup to multinational. But uh, everything that, uh, that the teams of people that I've had the privilege of working with uh, have achieved, I frankly go back to that kitchen table in central Massachusetts and lessons from my dad. What a great background. And uh, thank you for taking the time of sharing those with our listeners, uh, because uh, how true is that? Uh, that uh, our relationships and the strength of our relationships, the levels of trust are really the glue that allow us to excel in a significant way. And you're able to observe that firsthand. And when people are excited to be at work and, and they feel like they're being treated fairly uh, and they have a direction forward, uh, they don't need a union. I mean, unions do have a purpose, absolutely. But when there's high trust, there may be even a more efficient way. So this background was wonderful. One of the things that Rick did was uh, sent me a, a copy of his book, uh, Be Chief. It's a, it's a choice, not a title. And one of the ways he starts off is sharing an experience he had. And this is going to be, I think, a, a good entree into uh, the content is Rick shared a story of something that happened to him in Iraq and uh, where he was picked up and what happened. And do you mind sharing that on the air today? Sure. Well, I'll give you just the highlights because as you yeah. read, it's, it, it is a, we developed the story quite a bit. But for the listeners, uh, it's true. At the time, I was uh, serving as president of a government unit of a technology firm that had been selected to build out the wireless network that allowed people in Iraq in 2005 to vote for the first time. So my customer was, uh, was General Petraeus and the U.S. DOD and the Iraqi DOD, the Department of Defense. They were my joint customers. And, and while uh, when we first got the engagement, uh, uh, we had a team uh, that was sent over there to do the advance work. Uh, uh, very shortly thereafter, uh, they wanted to see me. I had meetings with the senior government officials and, se and senior military officials to make sure that we were doing everything possible to, uh, to serve uh, and, and support our servicemen and women. Uh, doing a great job over there. When I arrived uh, at the airport, uh, again, I, I had this title. I was president, uh, but it was very clear to me that uh, I was not in charge uh, because of the security at the time. Uh, flew into Baghdad Airport, and I was met with a, uh, a security detail of, of 11 uh, trained professionals. And it was very clear, and I say in the book, this this uh, the term chief uh, is perhaps a, a title that, that people have. I had the title president, but that title didn't mean anything. Uh, the fact of the matter was the people who were in charge, the people who had the power 
in that situation were the 11 people who were who were charged with my safety. So as we were driving that very dangerous road from uh, from the airport into the green zone, uh, it was clear uh, who was in control, uh, who had the uh, the opportunity to to uh, to show real authority and control of the situation. And it certainly wasn't the person with the title. So uh, we spent uh, a successful time uh, in uh, in that that first trip. We met with the Iraqi Minister of the Interior uh, and the senior uh, U.S. DOD officials and made sure that everything was going the way it needed to go. Uh, but it was just such a clear example that the title and that environment meant absolutely nothing. And the, uh, the, uh, the clarity and the energy and the confidence of those 11 people who were charged with my care was far more important than any title they held. And that's really the message of the book. Okay, great. Well, tell us about uh, Be Chief. Uh, how did it come about? And how can our listeners understand how it impacts them? Well, that's great. Great question, Steve. You know, the book is really about power. Uh, and as I, as I indicated, you know, there's a belief, there's a conventional view that power is about authority and control and that that authority and control can come from a title or a position. And there's a kind of a feeling that if you have that title, you, you've got a superiority. And in fact, that's not my definition of power. Power, I believe, comes from the inside of all of us. And power is about energy and clarity and confidence and influence and the impact we can have on each other and the organizations we serve. So the book is all about examples of how do we, in fact, how do we measure that power? There's a survey uh, uh, in the book, and actually it's online on my website. You can get it at bchief.com. It's free to anyone to actually go in and measure your power. And once you measure it, Steve, you can take steps to, to increase it. And then frankly, the exciting thing is that when you increase your power, everyone around you uh, has their power affected to, in a positive way as well. So the book is all about individual power, independent of your, of your title or your level or anything like that. And it does talk a little bit for those that do have a position as a manager uh, in an organization. There are things certainly you can do to help your organization, uh, help enable those people to be more powerful. But the focus is primarily on us as individuals. And how do you make sure you define power the right way, you make choices, simple choices that can make you more powerful and help those around you. Uh, before this podcast, Rick and I uh, had the opportunity to talk a little bit about becoming your best. And uh, really, in a sense, uh, this is the building of your own power. And as you become your best, what happens, that power and influence increases. And that it sounds like, Rick, what you're saying is that there's certain things that you can do that helps you become your best, that gives you this power that allows you to have greater effectiveness, happiness, uh, be more successful in what you're doing. And, and uh, would, do you think that would be the case? Oh, there's no question about it. I think it's, Steve, you're spot on. And fundamentally, in knowing the work that you and Rob are doing, um, you know, I don't focus on 12 principles, although I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, the five that I focus on uh, are really going in the exact same direction. It's how can we make choices to understand that power comes from inside us. Many times when I was going up the corporate ladder, I would wait for somebody else to tell me it was time to get that next promotion, to get in corporate speak more power realizing that power doesn't come from a level. It doesn't come from a title. It doesn't come from anyone else. One of my favorite quotes is, power is never given. It's only taken. So what choices can we make as individuals to take it and be our best?
Okay, yeah, that's great. And in your book, you talk about building a compass, which helps us go in the right direction, of course, and that there were certain components of that compass. And I think these are the type of things you're talking about now that help build this power within us that's innate in us that flows outward, that causes this radiation, this energy to take place. And would you mind talking about a few of those components that helps us build a compass, to, that helps us create this confidence and, and leadership within ourselves that allows us to be successful in every area of our life? Happy to. At its, at its core, Steve, the compass is about connecting what you do to who you are. Right? That, at, at the core, that's really what the compass is about. Many times, you know, I, I've many years used the, uh, the analogy of a roadmap. The challenge with a roadmap is it gives you different directions to get from point A to point B. But clearly, if you're on a road, somebody has gone on that path before, right? They've laid the groundwork. They've, they've laid the road that you're now traveling. Many people these days don't want to go where somebody else has gone before. They want to go to a new, new place in a new way. So I love the analogy of the compass because the compass can set you in a direction. If you want to go north, northwest, there might not be a road paved in that way. So you define how, what you want to do and how you want to do it, but you connect the two. So to get specific, what you do, uh, I'm a big advocate of, of discipline and supporting other people. And, and in the survey that, again, free to all of your listeners to go on bchief.com and take this simple survey, you can actually measure how disciplined you are and how supportive you are of others. That's kind of the what you do. It's connected to who you are. Who you are is all about your insight, your self-understanding, and your values. And if you understand, you connect your insight and your values to your discipline and how you support others, you can be massively creative. Now, creativity we spend some time talking about because creativity is not what an artist, you might think of an artist who is a creative person. When I use the term creativity, I, I use it as a synonym for you create as in you manifest the future. You create your future. And you create it powerfully when you connect what you do to who you are. So how do you do that? Hmm. There's a couple of different parts of creativity. There's internal creativity, being aware of how you're feeling and how you're thinking, which is really the beginning of the creative process. Then there's the external creativity. Everyone knows you create when you act. But you also create when you speak and when you write. And the power, Steve, comes when you align all five of those. You align your feelings with your thinking, with your speaking, your writing, and your acting. And you take this, the, the energy, the power that comes from that, that alignment. People know that you can lose power very quickly with other people by saying one thing and doing another. Right? That doesn't work. But for you yourself, if you know what you stand for, and you can take actions and, and speak and write in ways that are consistent with your voice inside, it, it really does create incredible energy. And by the way, it spreads. And that's what's fantastic. Well, I love that use of creativity, of uh, really connecting uh, the things that you do with who you are. And I guess I've never really thought of it that way. So is this kind of a continual process, Rick? Like, it is. How does this work? It is. Yeah, because, I mean, think about this application. Often we hear about the word creativity and we're thinking about solving a problem or, or directing it in one way or another. Uh, but you're really talking about, if I get it right and help me be sure I've got it, 
you're saying, hold it, let's, we're going to use this creativity to bring all these things together of how we feel, think, speak, write, and act based on who we are to get great results. Is that what you're saying? Uh, absolutely right. And, as I, and, I, and I'll translate it for some of your listeners who I know are in business. You know, I, I am, from a, from, a, from a professional standpoint, I'm a turnaround specialist. So I get pulled into organizations that are in pretty you know, deep yogurt, and they need help. <laughs> To get out of it. And so, yeah, we work on customer issues and cost and capital and competitor issues, but really unlocking the potential of the people, the power of the, or, the organization, which many people just don't, don't focus on, right? That's where the sustainable growth, you talk about sustainable success and the great work you do. I talk about sustainable growth because it's not just good enough to turn around an organization performing poorly to perform, you know, to go, you know, it's great, but good to great is, is a fantastic book Jim Collins wrote. Uh, but this is about going sometimes when it's not so good, how do you get to great? And then how do you stay there, right? You stay there with an investment in your people, going back to what dad taught me. All right. Well, that's great. Uh, now, uh, you have also talked about support. Uh, how does that fit in the compass? Well, support is critical because uh, we talk about uh, uh, chiefs. Is a term I use. Uh, chiefs uh, many times uh, have uh, have people who support them. But what we learn is that support is actually the more support you you are given is in direct relationship to the more support you give. So when you are enabling other people, when you're supporting other people, when you're encouraging other people, when you are modeling the kind of activity that you'd like others uh, to, to, uh, to offer, when you're, when you're questioning people to help them grow in a way that, that you know you can, you, you can help them grow, when you're inspiring them, the more support that you give other people, the more support you will get. And that's, uh, that, that's, it sounds so simple, Steve. But I know in your work and in your research, it doesn't always happen. Right. And so as you were talking about this and your dad, that message of relationships, I'm just thinking and I'm starting to see the vision of what you're writing about is that there are certain things we can do, such as uh, building these relationships by offering support to others, which brings out the best within them and maybe even yeah. within us in the process. No doubt. No doubt. Again, I, one of the, in your kind intro, you know, you talked about a turnaround specialist, uh, unconventional and a, and a servant leader. I mean, this is fundamental to the, to, to the work I think we both do. Uh, this is a, this is our opportunity to serve and, and it comes back in, in, you know, 10 X kind of ways, but this is a service orientation without a question. Right. Now, Let's build on this uh, turnaround experience that you've had. And by the way, I had an early mentor, and uh, that's one of the things that inspired me to get into business is that uh, what he did is he'd take over broken organizations, something that wasn't working, and uh, it was actually going backwards. And on his business card, he, he was a certified international consultant, but he did also run businesses. Uh, it had the words accomplishing the seemingly impossible. Yep. <laughs> I, yep. I love that. What a mindset. I mean, you know, it's great. And so yeah. th this is a process of being able to come in and, and turn something around. And my guess is that every one of us that's listening today, me included, are faced with challenges every single day of taking things that may be going sideward sometimes and getting them going in the right direction so that it is aligned to be successful. 
So what are some of the key components that you've observed that need to be in place to do a turnaround, to get, you know, to get things going in the right direction? Well, again, the, the, the strategy that, uh, that I always uh, talk about is a, I call it a 6C strategy. Again, to, if you're going to turn around to anything, it is about customers and competitors and costs and capital and community. But it's about culture. But I want to I want specifically for your listeners, uh, I'll give you something that I think is just critical. And turnarounds require an incredible amount of energy. You can't walk into these situations when, when, uh, uh, you know, when things are, are really bad. When I show up, things are generally bad. And, and, and people uh, need the energy to persevere the energy to build optimism. And, and I'm such a, a believer that energy um, really does come from the inside. So the tip that I would offer, since you asked for a tip, was, was to, to understand that when things are at their craziest, you need to take time to be still. When all the voices are coming at you from, from uh, customers and, and, and employees and competitors and you're in a leadership position potentially, um, you've got to find some time to, to, to still your mind and be clear about the voice that's inside you, inside all of us. That stillness is sometimes something that we don't take advantage of. So, so the energy that comes from what I believe is insight comes from finding that time to be still and also to be present. Right to make sure that you're getting the most out of every situation and every relationship by being totally where you are at that moment. When you're speaking to a to any individual, you shouldn't be thinking about the vacation that's two weeks away or the meeting that you just walked out of. You know the the, the incredible gift of of being present, uh, combined with being still, uh, leads to the the kind of energy that you really have got to you really have to focus on. To, to, to work through turnarounds, which otherwise could be completely draining. You, you talk about a, 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 an impossible mission, you know, the, the phrase you just used, right. doing the impossible. Yeah. Well, doing the impossible means you're, you're climbing a hill that other people would say, I'm not even going to try. And that energy certainly can come from other people, but you have to make sure that you're, you're doing what you can to, to, to build it in yourself. Right. And Rick, when have you found is the best time to do that to, you know, to really still yourself and to listen. Well, and Yeah, it, it depends. I can tell you that when I was in the green zone, uh, because trying to stay quiet there uh, was <laughs> tough. We, li we literally, uh, without exaggeration, had, had mortar fire and, and took incoming at certain points. Uh, but I would tell you that before the day started, uh, I would create some time uh, to, uh, uh, to, to meditate uh, and to pray. So for me, that was the time that I needed to, to, to settle myself. And, and I would find that during the day, I might need to take a, a quick one-minute break when things were kind of going crazy uh, to, to find time to just uh, center, center myself and, and, uh, and bring myself back. Because with that level of, of, of intensity, uh, and people uh, describe uh, you know, business sometimes as war, uh, it's not. It's clearly not. Uh, so even in the intensity of a true war environment, the criticality of, of tending to, to, to stillness, I think, is important. My favorite time uh, is first thing in the morning. I'm a morning person. Uh, I will stop during the day. But, but that morning, if I can get 10 minutes, I take it, and I'm grateful for it. That's awesome. And when you feel settled, that, talk about power. That's powerful. It is, particularly in an environment where you've got even well-intentioned uh, uh, friends, family, who are already all, always willing to give you an opinion, right? 
And I was going to say the well-intentioned media, but I'm not unsure the, the media is well-intentioned. They just want to keep you hooked, uh, social media included. Yep. So, yeah, it's, it's more and more difficult to do, but I think more and more critical to do, Steve. Okay, good. Well, that's, uh, that's worth our podcast today, if each of us could have the habit of settling ourselves regularly, uh, being at peace and giving ourselves perspective and internal strength. Uh, we're much more effective when we do that. So thank you. That's a great tip. Uh, and, right. and then uh, before we end up today uh, in Rick's book, he talks about building this compass and these different components. We've talked about some of these, the values that we have within our center, if you will, and being able to use creativity and focus it so that we're going in the right direction. I love that idea. Uh, and then we've talked about support. So uh, we're building other ind individuals as we work with them, whether we have the title or not, to get results. Uh, there were a couple of others I noticed. Uh, one was insights, and the last one was discipline. Yeah, we talked a little bit about insight in terms of uh, the energy, about being present, okay. being still. That that oh. develops the insight or self-understanding that's key. Uh, discipline, I think, is is something that, that really uh, a lot of people are familiar with discipline. Uh, my strong uh, uh, belief and, and experience would, would lend credence to this has an awful lot to do with the clarity which many people thirst for, right? People would love to just be clear. And there is a wonderful benefit about, you know, simplistic, simplistically, uh, you know, planning the work and then working the plan and then adjusting along the way. So, so the principles of discipline uh, are not are not breakthrough. This uh, this is not a, a material that doesn't exist anywhere else. In fact, the whole book is not meant to offer things that have never been thought about before. But you've been through it, Steve. You know that this very small book is really a synthesis piece. It's really a synthesis of a lot of great work, and I, I give great credit to, to many, of, many great uh, writers and researchers uh, uh, who are included in the book, but it's about two words. There's a great supply of leadership information out there. What the book attempts to do, actually, is help readers apply it, right? So I can read book after book after book, but where can I go to the book that will say, wow, this is going to help me use it, right? This is going to help me apply it in my work, in my life, with my family, with my relationships. That's what this very small book is about. So the apply side is something I really focused on. Okay, well, this has been fun talking with you about the book because uh, having read it, the things that you've pointed out uh, are just driven a lot deeper and more clear, and I'm seeing how they come together. So, for example, on being still, where you reflect upon your gratitude, and the blessings that you have, uh, so powerful, that grows that. But then this discipline, although they are the nuts and bolts, uh, Rick, I don't know what you've seen out there, but I've seen a lot of people that don't do this. And your description of having the discipline for having a clear vision and a strategy and tactics uh, are critical to realizing success. So this is a tremendous model that you have put together. I love it. I can't wait to take the test. Great. Well, again, this is <laughs> I, just to be clear, to, to be clear to all your listeners, uh, I'm, I'm excited about the book. Uh, I hope people will consider the book. Uh, just to be clear, all author proceeds from the book are going to a great charity, Sammy's House, 
down in Austin, Texas. So all author proceeds are going to Sammy's house. So I hope everybody buys books yeah. uh, for that reason because Sammy's could use it. But for those that want to kind of put their toe in first, uh, go to bchief.com and take the uh, the survey. Build your own compass for free, absolutely free. It'll take you five minutes, and it'll give you a a, a view into something that we think uh, can help you be more powerful. Good. Now, what's Sammy's house? Sammy's house is a is just a wonderful uh, facility in in Austin, Texas. I'm, I always make the analogy of, of the great work done at St. Jude's, where they focus uh, in one facility primarily on on obliterating cancer. Uh, and at Sammy's house, they're they're really focused on kids with pretty significant special needs. They're not focused on one particular disease state. Uh, but the Isabel Huerta, the uh, the founder of Sammy's house, been around for 20 years, has done a wonderful job uh, in the community establishing a place uh, for kids uh, from infants uh, through uh, through uh, 12 year olds and parental support when when kids are dealt with uh, kids who deal with one and two and three levels of disabilities, not just one. But the combination of, of two or three things that they have to deal with create a real unique opportunity for uh, for them to learn in a different way. I was there last week, and it's amazing um, because I went down there to uh, to serve, uh, and I was served and in being inspired by these amazing amazing kids and the amazing staff there. So, uh, you know, I don't know uh, Steve whether you saw the TED talk that I did on power, but I told a story in the TED talk about a wonderful six-year-old with cerebral palsy who ended up being one of my greatest teachers. I was there to serve her, and she taught me more than, than I ever thought possible. So whenever you're there to serve, it's kind of the generosity, gratitude thing. You there, you think you're there to be generous, and really you're there to be grateful for the, the wonderful gifts that these amazing kids can, can, can share. Well, great. Well, that's wonderful. And you're doing so many great things, and that's a, that's a blessing for many people. Now, before we wrap up, any final tips you'd like to leave with our listeners today? No, I, I would just tell you one, <laughs> one thing that in looking at the work that you and Rob have done, you've done a lot of research, and, and there's some research highlighted in the book uh, that, that really backs up the claim that anyone in a group influences everyone in that group. And so there's great research done by Sagal Barsadi out of Yale, and that's highlighted in the book, and it's the premise that, that don't look up for power. Look next to you and realize that you may be the most powerful person in the room, no matter what your title. So just remembering that power doesn't come uh, top down, it comes side to side. And uh, if you remember that, I think your listeners will, will, will smile and say, when they walk into a room independent of title, I may be the most powerful person in this room today. <laughs> and don't sell yourself short, right? Ever, ever, ever. That's right. Ever. That's been great. All right. So one last time, how can people find out about what you're doing? I, I can tell them. I've heard it a few times, but go ahead. <laughs> great. The easiest way is to go online at bchief, B-E-C-H-I-E-F.com. Uh, you'll be able to download a, a free a chapter of the book. You'll be able to take the survey. Uh, you'll be able to check out some of the reviews uh, of what's happening, and you'll get to learn more about Sammy's House, all at bchief.com. Uh, and very grateful, Steve, uh, to you and your listeners for the time today. Thank you so much. You bet. Well, thank you, Rick Miller, for being a part of this show today. Uh, what an amazing time we've had. We wish each of you who are listening with us today the best as you are making a difference in the world every single day. And this is Steve Schallenberger wishing you a great day with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Thank you for listening. 
Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life, in your family, or in your organization? Call us today at 888-690-8764 to speak with a helpful representative to evaluate your situation and how we can help. Or you can visit becomingyourbest.com. Whether it's a corporate training event, keynote, workshop, trainer certification, or personal coaching, it would be our pleasure to serve your needs. Once again, call 888-690-8764 or visit becomingyourbest.com today.